Welcome to the new school. What we wanted to do was talk about the concept of authenticity and vulnerability in an industry that has typically been super buttoned up, super professional, and a little bit old school. Welcome to episode number 10 of the New School Video Podcast. It's your host, Candice, and in this episode, Meg and I had the opportunity to speak to Adam Lissagor, who is the founder of Sandwich, previously Sandwich Video. So listen, you know him. Just Google it. Do it right now. He's in all our favorite commercials, and his team are responsible for creating commercials for companies like Slack, Warby Parker, Uber, kind of like every commercial you've ever seen and loved, probably him and his team have created. What's really cool about Adam is he's worked on brands across sectors and industries. So he has a really unique point of view in terms of what drives innovation, creativity, and storytelling that actually connects people to your story and in turn your business. We were delighted and surprised by his unique point of view, specifically addressing fintech, financial services, but also how he views advisors should show up to really build the business of their dreams and to connect to their clients authentically and uniquely. I know you're going to love this. Adam, it is such a delight to have you on the New School Video Podcast. I didn't know if you'd say yes, because we're focused on financial services and our goal in launching it was to interview industry insiders and outsiders, because I find that we learn so much from outsiders from different industries, translating it and bringing it in. Um, You're the founder of Sandwich, which was Sandwich Video, now Sandwich. I kind of feel like you're a little bit famous because you're in all the commercials, a lot of the commercials that you produce. And I think any time I've ever seen you speak, it's like standing room only. <laughs> Why did you say yes to coming on a podcast based out of financial services? Well, what am, what am I going to say? No, like some kind of a jerk? What am I, what am I a jerk? No, I'm like, uh, I, I uh, well, you know, you, you and I have been friendly in the past, Candice, and we met in... We met at Wistia Fest and it was, and we've had some, some good email conversations. And I, I like to do this kind of thing, which is like somewhat out of my wheelhouse. Um, and I just like, I like for, I like, I like to be in a forum where people share knowledge and kind of can figure out along the way, what's similar and dissimilar about our, our disciplines. And like, I think that it, there's so much joy in finding overlap between the various, you know, the disparate things that we do professionally, personally. Yeah. So that's basically why I'm here. Like, why not? Let's, let's take an hour and have, have some mind melding. Well, I appreciate it so much. And I think what you may not know actually is I got into video kind of later in my career. We were solving a problem, which was a culture and growth problem. And it showed up as communication. And uh, we learned everything about video from Wistia back in the day, like from their blogs. And we just started jamming. 
now like I coach and train advisors across the country how to use video to like really supercharge their connection. But at the time, you said something to me that like was just changing, like just changed the way I thought about myself, the way I hold myself, but also the way I work. And I said to you, you know, sometimes I'm on sets and all these people have studied film, they've worked in it and like their whole careers are in it. And I come in and I want to give them direction. And sometimes I feel like a little bit intimidated because I'm like, what do I know? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what do I know? I studied finance and economics. I came into it later. And you said to me, Candace, they've been trained to solve a problem a certain way. You see solving that problem differently. So just do it. And Mm -hmm. I, that has been like, I would like to say like life changing for me, actually, oh, wow. actually. So thank you. Because you sure, now I you sure I said that? Uh-huh. Yeah. You sure I said that? You said that because now I go to any situation and I'm like, they, it doesn't matter what it is in work. I'm like, I don't need to be intimidated. I see solving this problem differently. And that's actually my superpower here. Um, That's cool. I mean, I, yeah, that's, that's good advice is that everybody comes t- to uh, solving a problem from, you know, in a different way. And, you know, the, the follow up to that, I don't know if I said at the time, but if you're on set and you are the one giving direction, everybody there, the craftspeople are all there to help you. Uh, they're all help. They're all there to help you solve the problem. They're not there to challenge you. They're not there to judge the way you solve the problem. They're just there to do it because that's what they do as professionals. Um, and when they get to do that, when you get to be decisive and you get to help communicate to them how they can help you solve the problem, it means that you solve the problem more quickly and then everybody gets to go home earlier. And (laughs) there's like this mutual respect for that sort of arrangement. I experienced it just on last Friday when I was on set directing um in you know in this new sort of method of production called virtual production where you 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 basically you have a real camera and you have a real actor you're on a green screen um and then the environment has been already sort of designed and rendered digitally or not rendered it's been designed digitally and it exists in 3d space like in a volume And when you move the camera around on the stage, it also moves the camera around in the virtual space. So you can see a live composite of your actor standing there in the digital environment. And it's mind blowing. And everybody on set was, was, was sort of experiencing the awe and magic of this, this new method of working at the same time. But because everybody there, all the craftspeople had been so well prepared, were there to basically help execute the vision. Um, and I was there to sort of provide the, the, the pathway of the, of the vision. It meant that everybody got their job done quickly and efficiently. And we got, you know, we got to go home like an hour or two early and like the joy at the end of a day where you get to go home early is unlike anything else. The light (laughs) is different. Food tastes better. (laughs) Well, I think that I was reading about how Sandwich started and it sounds like it was a little bit of a happy accident because you started as an app and you made this really cool video to explain the use of the app. 
And in doing so, the video actually got so much attention and um, people were coming to you saying, hey, can you do that for me? That that's actually how this other concept, which is now Sandwich, was born. And I, I sort of love that concept. And I think it um, it feels as though that thought is the your ethos around like doing things the wrong way because they feel right is like really core to who you are and, and to who your brand is. And in, I like that story so much because in coming into this conversation today and thinking about how you can provide so much value to our community within the independent wealth management space, I think that the financial advisors that we work with often feel as though their communication, their storytelling, the way that they market themselves has to be done a certain way. And if it's not done a certain way, then they're not going to sound as reputable as they want to sound or not going to come off as professional. Um, And so they often come across as like super buttoned up and really hard to connect with because there's this sense of like, I have to do it that way, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just feel like, you know, I'd love to hear maybe to even go back to that story in 2009 when you were thought you were launching this app, like at what moment did you say, it's okay. I don't have to do that. Like I can actually do this. Uh Well, I think you hit it on the head there. It's this, it's, it's not just the product. It's not just the, the financial services that you're offering. It's not just the advisory that you're offering. It's the story around your advisory that you're offering. And that's something that sort of intuitively hit when I started sandwich because it was need based, right? I knew that my friend and I were making this app that people probably weren't going to be able to understand initially because it was weird. It was like, it was a, you know, most Twitter apps, um, Twitter clients are bi-directional. You can post and you can read, you know, from, from them. That's the way that Twitter works. Mine was, ours was unidirectional. So, it was only for posting. It was only for creative writing, essentially, on Twitter and being sort of more thoughtful about your Twitter posts. Um, and that was a bizarre and potentially stupid idea. So I knew that we had to communicate it in the right way or else nobody would be, you know, motivated to take the next step and go download it from the App Store. Well, I was just solving my own problem, but it turned out that that was sort of a model for solving a whole lot of tech, you know, tech companies problems or, you know, across every category, really, not just tech. It's that if you're offering a product or a service, be it a T-shirt or lawn care, um, yes, you can just say, here's our lawn care, here's a discount, get in touch. But if there's a little bit more to it in the form of story really is, you know, what we, what we refer to it as this catch all story is just a way of modeling an emotional experience for somebody. So that they're going to understand it in, 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 in the way that you understand it. And that was the important idea there, uh, which you, which you identified is if you can tell a story about why something exists and potentially for whom, then people are going to be that much more willing to receive it and then take the next steps. You said something earlier about just the story. Nobody wants to read the same story over and over and over and over again, right? People want to read different stories. People want to read different, you know, hear from different storytellers. People will gravitate towards one storyteller or another and they get to make up their their minds um, based on 
you know, who, which storytelling they like, you know, and, and who, who is telling the story. And I, I would say the same applies for any offering is if you can tell a different story, then you're, you're basically just so far ahead of the game. If you're, if you feel like you have to tell the same story as everybody else is telling, that's you're digging your own grave. There's, right. there's just no way out of that. You know, you and you see it all the time and it's so sad and it's depressing. And that's, that's kind of why I got into this whole game in the first place. Cause I just saw like advertise advertising makes me upset because it's all the same. <laughs> why doesn't anybody do it differently? You know, and just, just because I do it differently doesn't mean that I do it the right way, but at least I do it differently. And, and, you know, that, that, that gets into a second core principle of, of my company, which is that we all sort of, we all make mistakes differently. We all do things wrong differently. And the way that we do things wrong is very unique to us. And I argue that the way that we do things wrong is what makes us have our own voice. Mm-hmm. That's, so, you know, that I'll, I'll kind of end, end that, <laughs> that rant there. <laughs> No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that there's this just sense of you have to get it right every time on the first time. And yeah. at FICOM, we really believe that communication is its just about being real and being human. And it's also sort of an experiment. You know, you just have to keep experimenting. You have to keep yeah. listening and learning and iterating. But you have to stay true to yourself in that process and you can't lose yourself and trying, you know, striving for that perfection. There's no such thing as perfection. Um, yeah. That's, and- a, that's a great point is checking in with yourself for your, for your own sense of authenticity. Is this who I really am? Is this what I re- really believe? Is this how I really want to represent myself? Because I think that people know that, you know, even if you don't necessarily know how you're going to communicate yet, you can at least check in with yourself and say, does this feel like me? Right. I'm curious if you work with or have any recent work with financial institutions. I know you, I saw a commercial that you did for Acorns um, because I think that there's also, like I said earlier, there's this sense of I have to do it a certain way. I have to sound a certain way in order to be respected by my clients and to be trusted. And then I think in, on top of that, there's this sense of, but I'm dealing with someone's money. So I have to be very serious. And sure. it's, it's their money and people don't like talking about money and it's sacred. And, and the truth is like money is such an interesting thing for, and it's, it's very personal and it means something different for every single person. And it's, it's so integral that when you're working with someone like a financial advisor, who's helping to advise you on your finances and your money and how you're making your money work for you, you really need to trust that person. Like you really need to feel connected to them. And so mm-hmm. I'm curious in your experience at Sandwich, like have you experienced that with any financial institutions that you feel like they come to you and they want to, you know, connect in a new way through video, but you're like, yeah, but you're not quite getting it. And here's how you should think about it different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've worked with a ton of fintech companies, um, really interesting ones from like launching Robinhood back in the day mm. to Acorns, like you said, um, across the whole gamut um, of like personal finance, institutional finance. We worked with Capital One right before the pandemic. It was like the last, it was the last uh, commercial that we shot that was pre, you know, pandemic where everybody was out in the open, unmasked and 
having a blast in a in a park in LA. It feels like the the ones that are successful are the ones that realize that there's a different way of talking about money or finance. And the ones and I can think of one sort of earlier on that was a robo advisor um that basically wanted to come off as that le- that that same legit vo- that same legit sort of like don't worry you can trust us it's, it's <laughs> almost like that new that new style of institutional it's like still institutional because they feel like they're still risking the loss of that institutional client the legacy client and it was a, it was an awkward time it was an awkward transitional time for advisor you know financial advisory because it's 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 in between generations. It's in between people who go to Schwab, you know, have been for decades, you know, and people who are willing to trust an algorithm to set their their you know their 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 index uh, balance or whatever. And so there's always that there was a lot of probably fear and risk involved in not losing that legacy client. But I feel like we're past that awkward transition phase, and now financial companies know that human is the way to communicate about money. It's a deep, deeply personal thing. Um, sort of like going higher, higher level here. I, I remember one of the most influential books I've ever read was this book about media. Um, you know, just a, it was media studies from the sixties. Marshall McLuhan um, wrote this book, understanding media. And I talk about it all the time. I'm not very well read, but this was the one that sort of blew, you know, cracked my doors open a little bit. And I remember th- this one really, there were so many key ideas in there, but one of them was that money is media, mm. um, which is a f- fascinating thing to talk, you know, think about, especially in terms of what's happening in finance today. Um, money is just a symbol for the conveyance of something, of, its an, of an idea of value, right? It's fascinating to think about money that way. It's not just dollar bills that are in your wallet. Mm-hmm. Um and when when you sort of can imbue money with that property of being informational or being a store of personal value, it becomes a more intimate thing. You know, it's an, a more intimate idea. Money can be possibility. Money can be um, safety. Money can be uh, future. Money can be investment. It can be opportunity. It can be fear, like money can be all of these things that are very deeply personal. And so why just think of it in terms of like a mahogany desk and a guy with suspender, like it's so old school, you know? So it was really fun to think about how to, how to blow that open. Um, You know, recently we did one with this FinTech company called Albert. I don't know if you guys are familiar with, with Mm -hmm. Albert. Um, It's, it's personal finance sort of advisory but it's it rides the line in between AI and human. It's like we're going to help you figure out your financial planning using incredibly cutting edge algorithmic technology. But we're not going to leave you on your own. We've also got our advisors that are all on staff and really smart about this stuff, and they're going to help you. So it, it sort of rides the line, and. Um, you know, like so many things in life, uh, it's the balance. It's it's like not all the way in your rob- robot land and it's not all the way in legacy, you know, old guy who's been doing it for, you know, three decades or whatever, you know, 
three decades isn't very long. I'm in my forties, five <laughs> decades, you know, it's not just your Merrill Lynch and it's yeah. not just your, you know, your hoodie sweat, you know, startup founder, it's somewhere in the middle and you, you sort of like take the best of what, what's available. Adam, this conversation makes me so happy because I think if you look at um, kind of the change makers and financial services and the visionaries, I mean, they're talking to all the things that you're saying, but like that is their full-time job. So it's so fascinating and expanding to hear you talking about it and really like kind of seeing that, that viewpoint. And I think when I think about all the commercials that Sandwich makes, um, and why they're so effective and why they've been so successful. I think part of it is because, or maybe it is the thing, which is in everything that we're actually doing, it's like a study of the human condition mm-hmm. and it's understanding the essence of connection, right? That's mm-hmm. like really what it is. Like, how do you understand what the authentic essence is of something and then translate just that piece. Yeah. Gosh, it's really tricky. It's not something that y- you necessarily can can teach um, because it's it's really like about empathy and it's knowing, it's just paying attention to how you react to something as the receiver of the information and trying to communicate that reaction to somebody else. That's what we're doing now in this conversation. This is what I think about a thing let me tell you about that and see if you think about the same thing or something different about the thing. It's, it's, it's the sharing of knowledge and that's what's, that's what makes life beautiful. It's all enabled by, by language and ultimately makes us feel less alone. Um, and really like the start of our process in every single case without, without exception is when we're, when we talk to a new client and they're making something that, you know, is complex or new, um, we pay attention, we hear the information, we hear it from them. We pay attention to our own reactions and feelings about the thing. And then we figure out what are the simplest ways by which we can communicate that, our reaction or our feeling about it to somebody else. And that's, you know, it's it's super fun to do that. When you can do it right, you make somebody else excited about the same thing that you were excited about. And who doesn't love that? It's like, it's the basis of all storytelling. It's the basis of gossip or creation or anything in life, movie making, poetry, painting, any, anything. It's like, I want you to be excited about what I'm excited about because I experience joy and I want you to experience the same. And I think it's just like believing in that possibility, you know, and for our listeners who might be meeting Adam for the first time today, Inc. Magazine called him the Martin Scorsese of online video advertising. <laughs> we really are talking to somebody famous right now. Um, <laughs> Which is an absurd thing to say. <laughs> but I, when I thought about that, I was like, that's so interesting because I think that it's just believing in the possibility that you can connect with people in that way. And if you think about movies that have moved you to tears or to joy or to anger, there really is this human condition that is so eager to feel and to connect and to 
share an experience through emotion. And I think that in our world, that often is lost. There's not People don't believe in the possibility that a financial advisor could make a human connection with somebody in the way that that movie made them feel. But those, I mean, we're we're all part of the same tribe, the three of us right now. But like, we know it to be true. We've experienced it. Like, we've seen the power. And so, I'm really excited for people to hear sort of your perspective from an outside the industry viewpoint because. That's what you do every single day for, and what Sandwich does every single day for brands of different shapes and sizes across sectors is like you're able to move people in a way that spurs action and doesn't matter if it's financial services or if it's tech or if it's something in between, you know, that's really your, it feels to me like that's your mission every day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think probably everybody, everybody listening right now knows the difference between a good teacher and a bad teacher or a good doctor and a bad doctor, right? It's not necessarily that the knowledge that they have inside their head, it's their, it's the way that they share it with you. It's pretty straightforward. Like I've been in a doctor's office where um, the doctor looks at a chart, reads a bunch of clinical stuff, says, well, the data shows that such and such. It might be a good idea to do this and this and this. Okay. See you next time. Check in with the, you know, reception before you leave. And then we know a doctor who sits down and makes us feel like a human and gives us that sense of empathy. Like they, if they don't know what we're going through, they want to understand it and they dig in. (laughs) Um, And they will use what we give back to them as, as a way to inform their advice to us. Same thing with a teacher. We want to all be considered as like unique in our in, in our receiving the ideas that come from the knowledge of the teacher. And uh, a great teacher can make life changing, you know, impact on on a student. And a bad teacher can turn us off to the subject for life. And I say that I think the same thing is absolutely true for in in, in the world of finance is. I, like, I love my accountant, my CPA. I used to have a bad accountant who didn't know how to con- communicate accounting stuff to me at all. And I would leave every meeting feeling more confused than when I got there. And um, my accountant now, I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but he's well regarded in w- working with production companies like mine. Um, and I love talking to him. I love going to his office in the Valley to to, you know, to share stories and he tells jokes and we, we relate to each other on a human level. And I know that when he's considering um, some decision on my behalf, like, do you want to do this or do you want to do this? I know that he's bringing the humanity of the decision-making to, to his advice. Um, And that is super important to me as a, as a person on the receiving end of financial advice. I think that that could be potentially the number one most valuable thing that a financial advisor could offer to their clients is like, am I doing this because it's data locked in my, in my mind that I'm going to just like spray out into, you know, to anybody who listens because that's my expertise or am I going to deal with every one of my clients on a personal level and frame this information in a slightly different way for every one of my clients? that's that to me seems like you know 
a huge value add for a, for an advisor. Well, also, I think it's like what you said, like it gets boring when everyone's telling the same story. So then I, the way I view it is, well, what is your unique story? Well, it's, it's you, it's your experience. Like, it's like what, how you experience and view the world. And that's like the way you said to me, even the beginning, like the superpowers, I, I, I see solving the problem differently. Right. So I think that everyone has that unique story to tell. So sometimes I feel like maybe people feel like, well, what am I going to say? Like, I don't have, you know, anything to say on that, but everyone does because you're experiencing what's happening right now in the world. Sure. Um, Yeah. I think the great place to start is how did I understand, you know, this concept that I'm then trying to frame for somebody else to understand. Um, it's, it's almost like, uh, that's the quickest method to saying something, you know, worth listening to almost like, like anything, if you want to become a musician, you, you, you'll notice I'm prone to analogy, <laughs> like a ton of them. My mind is just like associative to the max, right? How is this thing? Like the other things that I know, um, if you want to become a musician, you don't start by writing your own music, you start by playing music that's already been played before. Right. And then you'll find along the way that when you get better and better at playing that music, you'll start to be able to imbue it with your own, your own voice, your own unique way of playing the music that nobody has played before. What I'm hearing you say is that people fear that they won't have anything to say or anything unique to say, um, which is a valid fear. And it might be true that when you start thinking about it like that, like, okay, what can I say that's never been said before? It's not going to get you very far, but it, but if you start by saying, okay, how do I understand it? And how do I say what I understand? And then give yourself that freedom, that little margin to, to move around and, and, you know, sort of experiment like Meg was saying, like learn from your mistakes, learn from work, what works and doesn't work. It doesn't have to be, perfect right out of the gate. Give yourself that freedom to try this and try this and see how your market responds to it. Um, And that's where you're going to find your voice. That's where you're going to find those unique things that only you can say. And that's where value is, right? That's that, that applies to every single advisor that you work with or you, that you, their value is where is when they can find the thing that they can say that is special to their, that is going to increase the you know, the, the financial health of their clients. Can you talk about the power of simplicity? Oh, for sure. Um, it's, it's everything. Like what, one thing that we hear from our clients at sandwich a lot is, you know, video can be used for so many different things. Video can be used to launch something to the world. You know, you, you want as many people to know it as possible. Um, a lot of these uh, founders that we work with, they're having one-to-one relationships in, in uh, all the time when, especially during fundraising, they're out there in boardrooms and they can get a VC, for instance, excited about an idea, but it takes them like a half an hour, right? Because their idea is complex. I mean, I'm working with uh, a credit card product 
company, like a financial instrument company right now. It's a, it's a fintech company and they're, they're still in stealth and they're making something that turns the industry on its head and requires a whole different shift in how to think about this particular financial instru instrument. Um, and you can't just like say that <laughs> it is, it's not easy to do that in, in one or two minutes. Um, especially in real time. Um, it takes like a half an hour or an hour to really like unpack it and unpack the context and the history and of the, of the industry and why it's different and why it's important. Um, so like our job at, at my company, if nothing else is to take that half an hour or an hour of ideas and condense it, you know, into a one or two minutes because they, because, uh, you know, in our, in our media landscape, um, ideas need to be condensed into simplified forms in order to be shared widely. Um, and it's not easy to do. Not many people can do that, but it means like boiling it down and boiling it down and boiling it down again and again and again. Um, and the, it's not about, it's not only about the, the ideas that you present, it's about the order you present them in. So it's been fun to, I wish I could, you know, talk specifically about this one product that we're working with right now, because, you know, there, there's, it could go in two different directions and we sort of had to figure out, okay, what is the, the way that people are going to understand how this works and why it's, why it's important, why it's meaningful to them. I have a website up with all the fintech companies that we've worked with right now. Um, but like, you know, a, a lot of times in with financial products, it's like, it's, it's really like, this is the product. This is the way products like it have always been. And this is why that's a problem. This is how ours is different. And this is how we solved it. And, and then, you know, you sort of like present those three parts of the story and your audience is going to go, Oh, now I get it. You know, it's, a, and as long as you sort of like have that framework for the, the proper ideas in the right order, then people are going to be able to sort of like use their own powers of perception and, and cognition to understand the idea. Um, and the last thing I'll say is it's like, it's largely about trusting your audience to say less rather than more, you know, mm -hmm. don't feel like you have to say everything. Feel like you say, you can say just enough, you know, maybe even less than just enough and let's let them ask questions and let them come to you um, and, and, and meet you ha halfway. Um, yeah. And then there's like, there's, there's a lot of power in that in between conveying idea and the receiving of the idea where you meet each other. Yeah. I would give that guidance to anybody doing this type of education is just say just enough and figure out just enough to say that it's not going to confuse the, confuse the hell out of somebody. They're going to want, they're going to understand just enough to start asking the right questions. I love that. Uh, trust your audience to meet you halfway because that's such an important concept. And I hope that when this brand that you're, or financial instrument that you're talking about goes from non-stealth to you put the video out there that you'll remember to share it with us so we can look at it and watch it. We can add it to our show notes and everyone can see what you're talking about. But I think that I love the concept of, you know, trusting your audience. And to the, your earlier point about teachers and doctors and the CPA that you love, I think it's also important to remember that relationships are quite subjective and that they're not all the same. 
So I think, Adam, you have children, young children? Yeah, four and seven-year-old. So I have a, a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old. And I was thinking when you were talking about that, like I was thinking about pediatricians because, you know, parents with young kids love to talk about stuff like health problems that their kids have. And I talk to friends who have kids the same age and they'll be like, oh, I love my pediatrician. Like this was the advice that they gave me. And I'm thinking, I would never <laughs> go to that doctor if that's the advice that they gave me, you know, like just because it's not the way that I want to receive that type of information. And that's okay. Like it's okay that one of my friends can love a pediatrician and I would never go to that pediatrician. And I think it's just like having the confidence to believe that your audience is going to meet you in the middle, but that you're also targeting the right audience and not trying to worry about everybody, because that's also like a huge challenge with communication is when you're trying to talk to everybody, but maybe not everybody is interested in what you're selling. So like, why would you waste your time? Absolutely. Because it's the, it's deval. If you're trying to talk to everybody, you're devaluing the message that you, that you can be, you know, sort of optimizing for uh, like a, a more focused audience. Right. Um, yeah. Parenting is deeply personal and parenting choices are deeply personal. Financial choices are deeply personal. These are, you know, they're probably two of the most deeply personal, um, you know, sort of types of decisions we can make. Um, I think it's it's definitely keen to say that what works for my friend isn't going to work for me, right. and vice versa. So, um, yeah, finding the right fit is just as important as you know getting the right message. Adam, thank you so much for coming on the New School. We've got a few rapid uh, fire questions for you. Okay. Great. Well, this isn't a rapid fire one, but it's one that we ask all our guests. And I think it's specifically relevant to you, but you're very visible. Uh, have you ever had a career moment? What was a career moment or a moment where you felt really vulnerable, but it was somehow powerful? Uh, um, being... Uh. Well, in my own context, is very specific, but being on camera is very vulnerable. Putting yourself out there, basically, is very, very vulnerable. Identifying yourself with your own brand as a, as a profession, um, it's a choice. Not everybody has to do it. Sometimes you can just sort of be behind the curtain. Um, but I think that there's a lot of power in that vulnerability, right? Um, so for... A lot of people who are public facing, um, their vulnerability is sort of part of their brand. Um, not in the sense that it's like, oh, look at me. I'm so flawed. Don't you love it? You know, it's not like that. <laughs> That's not what I mean. That's sort of manipulative. Yeah. But people respond to confidence and people especially respond to confidence despite, you know, human imperfection. Mm-hmm. Like, that's great. You know, like that, that, that is actually what people are looking for. Not because it's marketable. They look for that because it reminds them of themselves, mm -hmm. which is the best you want to remind you, you want, you, you want your audience to be reminded of themselves when they, when they see you. I didn't intend to be on camera for my, the, the videos that I was doing. I haven't done a lot of it in, re in recent years just because 
you know, I, when I started like, you know, more than 10 years ago, when I started and I was on camera a lot, helping launch these, you know, cool new startups, it was neat that people could sort of like watch me explain an idea and trust that um, I was explaining it with authenticity or, or some correctness. That persona grew to the point that I was like on TV, you know, like on TV, like selling cars. <laughs> it was a weird thing to do. Like it was very, it was lucrative, but it was like not, it was not core to my brand as an on, you know, as an on-camera persona in the tech world. And I feel like I sort of got a little bit exhausted. I got a little bit oversaturated doing that. And then I decided like, I actually really like just taking a backstage and allowing other voices and other representations to be the conveyors of this information. Um, so I haven't done it in a while, but when I was doing it, holy cow, it's a very vulnerable process to be on camera and know and try not to think about it that when you know, when you're reading that line on camera and often I was directing myself, when you're reading that line, you're looking in a certain way, or your shirt looks a certain way, or like, you know, maybe you wish that you had cut your hair different. <laughs> um, like that image is going to go out to, you know, thousands upon thousands and, and more of people. And that's very vulnerable. I didn't intend to be like on camera persona, but what, what I heard back was that the fact that I just looked like, like me or like, you know, somebody, an average um, person that you might know um, it was, it was valuable because it reminded people of themselves and their own humanness, their own imperfection. So that's great. And, and like, I, I, I'm happy to provide that service. I think that if it made an impact on the types of characters that we see represented on camera in any small way, then awesome. Um, like not everybody has to look like a commercial actor, just like not every uh, financial product has to message themselves in the same way, or not every advisor has to seem like Merrill Lynch. Right. Um, yeah, that's it. Does, that's it, does cool. that answer your question? Yeah, that's super cool. I know that really answers the question. I think Meg and I are going to be thinking about and uh, processing this conversation for a while because, you know, it's like you go through work and life and you have all these ideas and we're experimenting and we're helping our clients. And then sometimes, you know, I, there's always that like, well, is, is, do we have it right? You know what I'm saying? And so just to hear other people like validating it with their own point of view is always so um affirming it's affirming it's like you know we're not perfect but we're like on the journey and I almost believe it's like we believe in something bigger and greater which is like to the good of everyone I think that's ultimately what it comes down to yeah. um but Adam before we let you go what does the new school mean to you you know I associate it with avant-garde and I associate it with all these movements in the, the history of creation like La Belle Epoque or like um, or Bauhaus or any any you know Memphis or any movement that was like a collaborative of people starting to think in the same direction that was a very different direction than what had come before it because the school is literally a sort of a um, a collective I think of it in those terms and if what you're doing here by calling this the new school is allowing a gathering place for your community, then it's absolutely apropos. 
it represents a new way of thinking, obviously, you know, it's just like, oh, wow, what is possible now that wasn't possible a month or a year ago? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I've been spending a lot of time, too much time thinking about um, blockchain and <laughs> crypto and not Bitcoin. I'm not talking about like everybody should buy Bitcoin. It's going to the, to the moon. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what's being built on the blockchain right now is enabling things that we've never seen before in a new, you know, in a new way that improves upon the last generation of what we've seen before, but like exponentially and makes it safer and makes it democratized. And we're just on the, 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 the very, very beginning of, of, of seeing what's possible. And, but, but what's interesting about this is that if you're paying attention to who's talking about it, if you're going to Twitter and you're look, you know, you're you're seeing who's 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 got the you know NFT like appear appearing in their Twitter timeline somewhere, and it's not who you would expect. It's not like tech bros. It's not just like the old school, you know, Zuckerberg likes. You know, it's like a whole new school of people that are gathering around this this idea and sort of like forming these really interesting tribes of thought um, that are all pushing the technology forward in interesting ways. And that is refreshing to me to see that it's, it, it, it resembles this, these communities don't resemble the same old communities of the past. Thank you for people that are listening. Where can they find you? I know you've got your current podcast all consuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fun one. Um, all consuming. We, my friend uh, Noah and I, we, we talk about, we review, we try and review and talk about a new direct-to-consumer product every week, something that you might have seen in your Instagram that you might have th- thought, that's interesting, or that is ridiculous or absurd, or that is terribly stupid, and there's no way it could work. We buy all those things, and then we try them, and we talk about them every week. Um, it's very fun. So allconsuming.show. Um, my company is sandwich sandwich.co and on Twitter, I'm Adam Lissigore and Instagram Adam Lissigore. And those are the main things. And I think that's everything. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm super excited to launch this. I, I just, I can't, um, even imagine the impact that it will have because, It's just, I think, an opportunity to really expand everything that we've been talking about for people, which is what is possible. Mm -hmm. It's super fun. You're giving people a platform uh, on which to build their own capacity as storytellers. Um, And you're empowering people. That is empowering in its own way. That's wealth creation. I mean, it's just, it's great. Great, inspiring mission. And I applaud you. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you. 